1: You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast
0: Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 438 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, December 18th. I am your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode. And, of course, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network with team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. We've got Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd, Locked On NBA with David Locke and a bunch of other hosts from across the network. That's a daily show with weekly contributions from Sam Amick of The Athletic and Ben Gollard, Ben Golliver, sorry, now of The Washington Post. And you can find them all together on the Locked On NBA iTunes channel. If you're an NFL fan and your team is on the fringe of the playoffs or has just been eliminated and you want to hear a postmortem on that, make sure you're finding the corresponding Locked On NFL show as well. Lots of great content for you to check out on the network. So please find a show that you like, find a host that you dig. And if you want to support them, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. It's the best way to support all the shows. It's extremely helpful for algorithms and rankings and all that stuff, and uh, it's very much appreciated when you take the small amount of time it requires to do that. Also, I have a Patreon page if you want to go for some premium podcasts. You can check out patreon.com slash Two bucks a month gets you two podcasts per month. Five bucks gets you every weekly podcast that I put out. Uh, this is the last podcast I put out over the weekend is a breakdown of the top 10 moments at which I most flipped my shit from the post-Rudy Gay era in honor of the five-year anniversary of that trade. So if you want to check that out, lots of good audio stuff in there, lots of Matt Devlin love. And uh, this upcoming episode, if you're a $5 subscriber, you get to vote on what the topic is going to be. A few topics right now are out there, but the number one in the clubhouse topic for this week is a rewatch of the 2016 raptors cavs game four of the eastern conference finals uh probably the pinnacle of raptors history really if we're we're looking at over the course of the 25 years of the team so uh if you want a uh vote and a say in that and you want to hear the podcast subscribe to that uh feed on patreon for five bucks a month or two bucks a month whatever you're available to do and uh i appreciate it very much all right, on today's show, bit of a different uh, start to this one because we have someone who is a far better writer than I am and who is a professional writer in general uh, on to talk about a book that he's putting out. It's a day off for the Raptors. They, they play tomorrow against the Pacers. So it's a nice time to take a little break from the constant recapping and previewing of games over over, over and over again and uh, take a look at an actual good piece of writing and, and work that's been done by someone who writes for Raptors HQ. So from Raptors HQ and the author of Running the Point, a the sorry the winner of the 2018 diversity award from the story shares organization in the American literacy or- oh, sorry I got oh, I'm just gonna edit around this <laughs> yeah. yeah and the winner of the story shares 2018 diversity award it's Simon Broder how's it going man
1: hey how's it going good to be here
0: yeah thanks for coming on the show man uh let's talk about your book it's uh, middle just so, so people know people know what it's about. I guess maybe I'll give you the floor. It's a it's a middle grade uh, book about a young basketball player. Tell us what yeah. it's about and sort of why and how it all came into into being. Yeah, so it's kind of aimed at
1: maybe I would say ten to thirteen age range, mm-hmm. maybe a little on the younger end of that. Yep. Um, uh So there's this organization called Story Shares. They put on a contest every year um, for the best. Uh, book written for readers who read below grade level. Mm -hmm. Um, So the idea is um, young adults and adults sometimes are not the best readers. Um, So uh, I decided to write about basketball because I kind of thought that's something that can kind of hit that target market. Mm -hmm. Um, It it really just kind of came out, uh, I just saw the prize, thought about it, went back, was like, do I really want to write a kid's story? And then I was like, you know, let's just go for it. And uh, so I put a lot of work into it and submitted it to the contest. And uh, yeah, now I got a published book out of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty awesome. So was this sort of a, a pivot then from what you've typically written? Is this like your first sort of foray into this sort of grade level?
1: Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, I've written some fiction before, but it's always been kind of gritty, you know, mature fiction, kind of literary mm-hmm. a little more. And I was kind of just looking to expand my boundaries a little bit yeah. Um, and also there was prize money so you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well no it, it's a it's a really good read for I mean I'm in my 20s and I still found it to be an engaging read obviously it, it was a nice breezy thing for me to get through but uh, it, it reminded me a lot of stuff just the way that sort of, sort of things are laid out and described and uh and, and just sort of the way it's put together It reminded me of a lot of stuff you would read back in you know middle school and stuff like that so uh, I think if you're looking for a book say if you're you have kids or something and you want to sort of get them interested if they're basketball fans if you're a basketball fan this is a, a really good starting point I think if they're sort of looking to get into reading um so a, a couple of questions about the book so the 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 the, the antagonist of the story, his name is Eni uh, he's a young Mexican-Canadian kid Mexican-American kid uh, it's not, yeah. yeah, so his the choice that's made is that his idol in the book, he's a basketball player young basketball player, sort of a point guard uh, undersized and sort of a lot of the struggle of the book is him trying to overcome, uh, in, in particular this one kid at basketball camp who is much bigger than him and much more talented and it's sort of a, a progression just to show how he sort of grows and finds a way to overcome him in the end um, his choice, or your choice that you made for him to have his idol be is Russell Westbrook. What went into Russell Westbrook being sort of this core idol for any in the story?
1: Uh, I just thought he was a really dynamic player, mm-hmm. and um, I, I kind of, I wanted something that was a little bit out of left field, but not totally out of left field, mm-hmm. because I feel like Westbrook has been an MVP, like, it's totally understandable that a kid would would be really into him, because he's, he's all about the dunks, he's all about just taking games over with his skill. And it was a little bit of a weird, because this guy's undersized, Westbrook is a little not really like an undersized point guard, but I, I didn't want it to be too on the nose. I sort of wanted it to just be, you know, when, you, when you're 12 years old and you're looking up to your favorite player, it's someone you can relate to, but it's not going to be like, you know, it's just whoever's the big name at the time. Mm-hmm. So I kind of... I just sort of went with Westbrook because he's a really dynamic point guard, and obviously this kid's learning how to run the point. Um, and uh, yeah, not not too much thought went into it beyond that.
0: I mean, so I you think it was... just,
1: you make these choices, and <laughs> then you just see how they go, and then if they don't work, you go go in a different direction. So.
0: I think it was a good call because if he was modeling this game after Steph Curry, it would have been a pretty short story. Oh, he learned to pull up three, and he's he's already the best player at camp early in the game. So that's uh, exactly ended up working out pretty well. Back when you were a kid, who was the uh, the player that you emulated when playing in the driveway or wherever you would play?
1: Um, It's tough because I mean I originally came up as a baseball fan, so okay. All all the books I remember reading are about baseball, and uh, I was a huge John Olerud fan. Right. Uh, He's kind of tall, lanky white guy, you know. uh, Kind of. He had the same birthday as me as well, so that was a nice little angle there. Mm -hmm. So I was a huge John Olerud fan growing up, and uh, never quite got the swing down, but you know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Who among us? Uh, Yeah, but mine, when I was a kid... It's uh, extremely a uh, white kid of me to say, but Wally Zerbiak, I always appreciated as the white guy who stood in the corner and like benefited off of Kevin Garnett's greatness because I, kn- I knew I could never be... As good and dominant as Kevin I was trying to be realistic with myself, right? So I was yeah, like, oh, I yeah. can be the guy who shoots threes and uh, looks sort of dumpy in the corner. I could be that guy. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: well, these days when I play basketball, I model myself after Tyler Hansbrough, So <laughs> 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 just hacking some people and uh, hoping I don't get called for it.
0: <laughs> yeah, the closest thing I have right now is like uh, Raptors era Louis Scola. Like, oh, yeah. Good teammate, yeah. tries real hard, sometimes will hit some threes, uh, not much for defense, and sometimes can pop that, fake my way, but mostly I'm uh, kind of past it. So, that's That might be more realistic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so back to the book for a sec. I, one thing I found that really struck me about the book is how well you write – just like the sort of happenings of sports i think this is like one of the hardest things to do both with like written sports and also in movies and that's the reason why i don't like sports movies at all is because no one seems to know how to like portray sports on the screen and maybe it's a little bit easier in in writing, just because you have more sort of bandwidth to work with. Whereas in a, in a movie, it's like, all right, let's throw these actors out there and say, oh, okay, like go portray sports. And like, hopefully yeah. they've played the sport before and know like the sort of natural motions or whatever. But I still think you did a really good job of sort of like laying out the groundwork for what the basketball in this story looks like. I thought it was really effective. Uh, is there like a secret to it and like to sort of writing sports? Because it is like. It, trying to explain it is so difficult i don't even know just like talking to my parents about stuff or talking to my girlfriend it's like oh yeah uh delon he did this thing where he you know like, crossed over this dude euro stepped like he he like had a reverse finish and it's like really hard to kind of explain what is happening just sort of the because so much go is going on whenever sports are happening on the court or on the field how do you go about trying to write it all and do you find that challenging
1: Oh, very challenging. Yeah. It was a huge... The the big basketball scene at the end was probably the the thing I struggled with the most. Right. Um, I was... I just kind of... I, I tried to break it down into really component parts, and, like, I like to think about it in terms of, like, what what is actually happening? Not, like, what's, what's the lingo for this move or whatever. Like, what is actually happening?
0: What, what are, are you, you...
1: Like, how are you crossing over the guy? How are you getting up and down the floor? Like, um... But it was definitely a, a huge struggle, and uh, you, you really—it's really something you have to sit down and like really work through. This 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 book went through a fair number of drafts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think I, I got somewhere at the at the end. I still think I could do, do better at some point, but you know, you uh you get where you get. So,
0: was this your first time writing a sports book?
1: Uh, it was certainly my first time writing a a book in general. Yeah, yeah. Like, in this in this vein, yeah, right. I've written about uh, like pool and stuff, but I've never written about yeah, like sports in yeah. the same way.
0: Fair enough, it, and it's so different too, because like we both write for Raptors HQ, and we'll write analysis pieces or whatever. And when something happens, it's like, oh, here's a video clip of what happened. This is so much easier. So I, I can imagine the the flip from that, where you're trying to concoct something that has not happened yet, or has <laughs> and that, that like thousands of people haven't seen. I can imagine the struggle in that, so I just wanted to commend you on that. You did a really good job of it. Uh, The book once again is running the point. Where can people find this? Is it available out for people to buy right now? And and sort of, what do you think is uh, what are the sort of the next steps that you want it to take?
1: Um, So it is available right now on Amazon. Um, It's if you look up it up on Amazon, it's a little hard to find. Um, So I would recommend going to my website, uh, Mm simonbroder.com or uh, checking me at uh, Doug EJs on Twitter, um, and then there's some links there that will take you directly to the book. Mm-hmm. Um, my goal right now, it's kind of, it's a smaller publisher in the States right now, so my goal is to kind of get it out onto a Canadian publisher, get it into some schools, um, and see where I can go from there. I've got a couple leads on that, but I haven't uh, i haven't reached out directly to publishers yet. So, But uh, it is available now in the current, current iteration of it um on amazon and uh yeah if you want to hit me up at dougie j's i'll uh mail the first person who asks for it a free copy so well there you we'll go throw that out there
0: yep. awesome uh i will uh post all the links and stuff to the amazon page and everything in the post for the po- for the podcast as well if you are interested in checking it out if you have a kid a uh, young kid that you want to sort of get the book for to try to I don't know, inspire their reading. This is, uh, I think, a really, really good entry point for for people who maybe have not uh, done that so far. So uh, we're going to take a quick break, come back on the other side, and we're going to get into some Raptors stuff because Simon, of course, does some very good work for Raptors HQ and uh, he wrote about a certain point guard, not Russell Westbrook or any, as a, or <laughs> but uh, a player who is uh, kind of a topic of fascination for the Raptors right now. So we'll take a quick break, come back to the other side. Also, just a reminder to please check out the Locked On Podcast Network social feeds on Twitter and Instagram, at Locked on NBA Net and at Locked on NFL Net on both Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, if, instead of following all the different hosts on the Locked On Network, you can just follow this account and it's going to retweet all of the basketball relevant information, new podcasts, stuff during Breaking news events stuff during games it's a great resource for that and then on the Instagram side of things we're posting little snippets of each podcast uh, all the biggest podcasts of the day and with little video as well to go along with it and you can either just listen and take it for what it is a minute long take or you can go click on the link in the bio and listen to the full podcast so make sure you're checking out the Locked On NBA net and at Locked On NFL that feeds on both Twitter and Instagram The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up a fascinating player for the Raptors because, I mean, he was so good last year. And for me, he still remains sort of the guy who captures my imagination imagination the most when he does stuff on the court. I mean, Pascal Siakam has kind of taken over that mantle a little bit this season just because of his leap and how um, sort of game-changing it kind of, kind of is for the Raptors. And DeLon... Kind of seems to get relegated a little bit to third banana duty in the point guard ranks, and that you know that's totally fair. Fred Van Vliet had a fantastic year last year, third and six-man voting, and this year he's kind of coming around, and his shooting is so valuable for this team that I kind of understand. But DeLon, man, I don't know what do you sort of like where does he rank on your sort of power rankings of dudes you like watching because like he doesn't get all that much of in the way of opportunities just playing 17 minutes a game so far this year he's been up and down he's had some games where he's just kind of been relegated to third duty as i said and just not really gotten into the regular run fred usually gets the call to close games over him but i don't know i I still find him to be such a joy to watch where does he rank for you
1: well i think he's he's kind of forgotten like i think He's a little behind Fred on the depth chart, but, like, I think he should be right behind him. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of back early last year, they were kind of trading off for who was kind of the backup to Lowry. And then Fred kind of took that mantle on. And I was really thinking, like, DeLon can push back this year, especially when Van Vliet got off to that slow start. Um, the, thing, the thing about DeLon that really excites me is... He just does a little bit of everything for you. Like, he's he's a really good... He drives, he passes, he he can actually shoot the three at a decent rate, he plays good defense, he's a good rebounder for a guard. So, I kind of picture him as this, like, this perfect glue guy that can hold together a good lineup. Almost like Patrick Patterson, except he's a guard, so it's a bit different. But, like, just someone who should be helping everyone else on the court do better. And he doesn't necessarily always hit that ceiling. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so yeah that's that's
0: where I'm at with that yeah it's been weird this season too because I just don't know if he's been used properly and this is all sort of the you know the figuring things out phase for Nick Nurse and I'm sure and we've seen it recently I think they've kind of started to use the bench a little bit differently where the lawns had the ball in his hands a little bit more often Fred's been kind of off ball whether he's starting with Kyle Lowry or just working with the bench and I think that's just the way you want to do it Fred as an on-ball creator can't really see over defenders. Isn't the most crisp when it comes to finding his his role men in the in the pick and roll. And like his shooting is just so valuable away from the ball that I'd prefer to see him there. And then DeLon, yes, he shot threes pretty well. He's at 36.5% so far this year. He was at just about the same last year as well. Um, But a lot of it is like wide-open catch-and-shoot stuff or wide-open but very deliberate off-the-bounce stuff where it's sort of a very slow, methodical release that he has and only when it's very, very wide open and teams are going under on him. Um, So I just think his gravity isn't really the same as Fred's, so having him away from the ball it kind of, I think, hurts the Raptors a little bit. A, because you're putting a worse ball handler and creator on the ball and and then also a worse shooter away. So I think they're kind of pivoting away from that a little bit. And I think we've seen some nice results from DeLon lately. Um, but I, I do think that's something that needs to be worked on. And I think I, – I'm with you, man. I think DeLon has extreme importance to this team. I've wrote, written a couple times that, like, I think he's going to have, like, Sean Livingston-type importance to their defense. And I do think there are going to be times in the playoffs where – Playing yeah. Fred is going to be a non-starter um, just because of his size and because of what DeLon can bring. Like, What do you think should be DeLon's role, I guess, within this team?
1: Well, it's funny you asked that because when I wrote the article, his three-point percentage was like through the roof. And he's gotten a slump <laughs> since then. It was, it was like best on the team almost. And uh, he's down to uh, kind of just a decent three-point shooter who only shoots when he's open. Mm-hmm. Um, but... So I was kind of looking at him as like, you know, if he could really become a good three-point shooter consistently, maybe get them off a bit quicker, then maybe he could just be like an outside shooter in like a starting lineup kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really what they need is, he needs to be creating, and uh, he his touches are way down this year, he's not making as many passes, not making as many assists, usage rate, just through the floor, like, and he's... Not Oh, like he shouldn't be taking up all your possessions but he should be having the ball in his hand like he's a guard, he needs the ball in his hand so mm-hmm. he's got to be doing something if he's just standing there he's not really helping your offense that much So, um, but he's also been hurt because Van Bleed and Miles haven't really been shooting this year and yeah. the bench, just parts of the bench have not been what they need to be So, and he also misses uh Jakub Pertl I think
0: yeah, I think that was a nice little combo they had going and that's not really the case anymore are there, like, lineups that you've kind of dreamt about seeing DeLon in that maybe we haven't seen so far this year? Like, is there a set, like, death lineup adjacent thing that you'd kind of like to see him be involved in?
1: Uh, actually, I, I played around with lineups a little bit. Uh, I don't really know how these would all fit in, but mm-hmm. I did actually come up with more, not really a death lineup, but more of a, a revamped benchmark from last year, mm-hmm. where if they could somehow get, if they were going to play without Lowry and Leonard, and they just subbed in Wright and Van Vliet for those two, maybe at the end of the first quarter. Right. That's that's actually a really fast lineup. It shoots three pretty well. It plays good defense. Um, and I think those five guys on the floor, you know, and then you, you stagger Lowry and Leonard in with OG and JV and all those guys. That that could. It, it would. You'd have to see if it worked. If it had the magic of last year, but that just looks a lot more like the lineup we saw last year than what they're rolling out right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's one thought I had. I had a few other thoughts, like maybe right in for Green and then Green staggering in with the bench. But uh, yeah, there's, there's a few different iterations of how to maybe get him into better lineups.
0: Yeah, I guess it kind of depends on how his shooting develops too, but I think there's some potential as well to throw him in with, like, Kyle, DeLon, Danny Green, Kawhi, and then pick your poison in center, whether it's Pascal or Serge. But I think, like, if you're trying to find lineups, if the ultimate goal of this season is looking ahead to, hopefully, a finals appearance against the Warriors, like, I think they should be doing the Rockets thing where they're trying to gear their team to face off against that matchup. And I do think... So the the Celtics kind of propose a similar problem to the Warriors in that they're very small, and their small ball lineups are so talented that it's going to be really hard to match up with them. But I think the Raptors have the sort of horses to do it. And I think DeLon's defense and just, like, his nose for hunting out passing lanes and just sort of the offbeat sort of, you know, quirkiness he provides, like, having him surrounded by, you know, Kawhi and Danny Green and Kyle and then Pascal kind of cutting off the ball like a madman or being the screener, like, I I think there's a lot of potential in that, too, just as something that could be really dynamic. Um, you know, maybe not—not not, not even having to have DeLon be an off-ball sort of three-point shooting threat. Like, just kind of give him the keys. You know, I've always yeah. thought he's been a pretty—you know—responsible player. He doesn't like turn the ball over like a crazy amount. He's not like he's Ben Simmons out there where he's trying all this stuff and he's getting hurt because he's doing too much. Like, he's usually pretty in control, despite how sort of outlandish some of his forays to the rim seem. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Do you, if you were to be if you were Nick Nurse and you're constructing like the ultimate lineup to go against the Warriors, is Delon right part of it?
1: I don't know if he's part of the the actual death lineup, but I mm-hmm. think he's he's definitely in the mix. Like mm-hmm. he's he's gotta be one of the first guys off the bench, you know. Um, I still think their closing lineup they have right now is pretty good. I don't yeah. know that you need to put Delon there. I mean Van has been doing pretty well um, when they when they've subbed him in for Siakam even. So I think, I think the key is just to get right into the mix more. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe he'll be in a closing lineup if he's shooting the hell out of the three ball one day. But mostly he's just, he needs to be... And the one problem I have with him is, you say he's in control, but I look at that and I see him being passive. He's kind of sitting there letting other people take control. Right. And re- really he needs to... He, he's been doing a little more in the last week or two. Um, especially last night, he really went to the rim. But, like... Yeah, he's just got to be more in control, more in charge. And I wonder sometimes if the team trusts him, because I just feel like when him and Fred are on the floor, everyone knows that DeLon should have the ball, but the team just seems to want to run everything through Fred. And I just wonder, that's getting into like dynamics of the team, but like maybe people just feel more comfortable with the ball in Fred's hands. And I wonder if it's because Wright isn't aggressive enough.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, And, and yeah, it does seem like ever since Fred's sort of arrival, and maybe it's just because, you know, DeLon's been hurt and he's kind of been behind the eight ball a couple times over the last couple years with his shoulder and stuff like that. Like, maybe Fred's just kind of wedged his way in there and he's played so well that... You know, it's nothing that Delon's doing wrong per se. It's just that Fred's just kind of there and he's the steady Freddy. Everyone loves steady Freddy. Yeah, exactly. And, like the team always performs so well when he's on the court that again, I'm not sure it's Delon's fault. It's just more Fred's kind of overshot any expectations that were reasonable for him. Um, but yeah, I, the reason I say Delon in like those depth lineups is because like I thought those were going to feature OG. I thought Kyle, Danny Green, Kawhi, OG Pascal was going to be they're counter to the death lineup, and if OG is gonna play the way he has, where yeah, his okay, shot is just so wayward, and I don't know what's going on, whether it's his wrist or something else, but uh, we talked about this on Monday's podcast. But like the reason I th- kind of am looking for maybe different solutions that you know than than OG for that for that you know last guy in the death lineup or death lineup adjacent thing is just because OG's been so poor. And, and, like, Danny Green, I think, has been a lot better than I expected he would be. Like, I, at the start of the year, I was talking about, like, Danny Green. Like, is he going to be able to keep his job over CJ Miles? And that was idiotic, to be saying. Good yeah. Lord. Um, but as it turns out, when you're healthy and not having your groin injury misdiagnosed by the Spurs, apparently Dr. Nick ass coaching – or <laughs> <laughs> medical staff that, like, I uh, – Maybe that's just what you become is a very effective player, once again, that we all kind of knew Danny Green to be. But yeah, I just think there's a, kind of that hole. And maybe it's Fred, but I, I worry about the size. And I just feel like DeLon kind of checks so many boxes, right? The defense, the the length, yeah. the not being a, a complete albatross of a shooter, the extra playmaking that you're probably going to need if teams are going to really load up on Kawhi and Kyle. I just feel like if there's you know, there's probably a few contenders there, I mean, you could say if Norm Powell's healthy, maybe he flips in there. Maybe you just play a Baca at center with, with you know Siakam at the four, and that's fine too. Um, but I, I just the, the Siakam at center looks we haven't seen a ton of, and there are reasons for that, and I, I get it. And I do think it's kind of risky to go with the center against a lot of lineups just because the, the rebounding is going to be a problem. But, um, like, the one game they used it this year, really, for an extended run was against the Pelicans, and they got killed by that. But there were some signs in there that it was going to look really good and be exciting. And I just think maybe if OG is going to play like this, you flip him out, slide DeLon in there, and then, you know, if that ends up working, if that ends up being a thing, I, like, DeLon's usage this year is so fascinating to me because I guess the, the sort of elephant in the room is what the future for him holds right because he doesn't have that long of a track record with the Raptors he's only played 150 games to this point as of December 18th 2018 like there's not that much tape on him or, or, or just a, or a book on him of what he's going to be long term or whatever or maybe he's not going to be anything more than what he is long term because he's already 26 years old like I, I just deciding what's going to happen with him this offseason season. Is going to be a fascinating question do you have any sort of preferences as to what his future holds with the Raptors like w- would you sort of pick him if you were to rank him over Fred or whatever like would you sort of if there was a choice between those guys or a choice between him and like hanging on to Norm Powell or trading Norm Powell for a pick to or, or w- attached to a pick in order to keep DeLon around like how would you sort of uh, slot DeLon into sort of the Raptors future plans if you were in the
1: front office? Well, I think he's in a tough spot, for sure. I don't know that they're going to be able to keep him, but I think the, the, the issue I have is that it's like Fred is so much higher than him right now, and it, they really should be 1A and 1B. Like if, if, and you're talking about death lineups. like Sure, Van Vliet can be in those lineups if he's having a great game, but if DeLon's shooting the, the three and he's like having a good game, then maybe it should be DeLon in those lineups. Like Whereas I don't necessarily know that the Raptors are that open to that. It just kind of seems like DeLon gets thrown in, like, last night when Fred's not playing. Like, so that's kind of where I, I'm at with him. I He's kind of old for what he is, so he's probably, this is probably what he is. But, yeah, he just needs to be the, that aggressive version of himself. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's, like, a high-ceiling player or a crazy impact player, but it's a useful player. It's a guy who can be a backup on a championship team. Like, and that's kind of where he's at. So, mm-hmm. As far as whether the Raptors keep him, that's, that's a bigger question.
0: So. I do think if there's one thing this season has kind of clarified, it's that the talk of, like, Fred and DeLon just simply taking over for Lowry once he's done with the Raptors is probably not all that realistic because Lowry's incredible, and replacing him is not as easy as just saying, okay, let's throw in this guy who has many Lowry comps but is you know two inches shorter and a far shorter track record of being like Lowry than Lowry. Like, I think the, yeah, the future I, of the I point guard spot is. is uh, sorry. No, go ahead.
1: I think Van Lead is. Uh, he's gotten a bit overrated at this point. Like, he had a great year last year, but, like, third string guy to start last year, and he's played really well, but his numbers are all way down this year, and he's kind of rebounded. He had that huge game shooting threes the other day again. I mean, he's not shooting great and he's he's just not as much of a player as he was last year and a lot of that is teams know him. Maybe it's just that he got paid, he's comfortable, but I mean I, I just don't think we should put be putting all of our eggs in the Van league basket because he was, you know, he was signed for nothing, right? He wasn't even drafted. So he's he's proved he belongs in the NBA, but as far as being a starting point guard, like who can fill in for Lowry, that's that's a pretty big
0: ask. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Van vliet has been a little bit overrated, but that's uh, that's okay. It's fun to watch, and, and like as long as the Raptors are keeping flexibility, which they are, it's not like Fred's you know contract goes beyond. When Kyle Lowry's done, and it's not like they've invested in one of these guys as like, oh, you're definitely the guy of the future. I think they're both. The front office is also kind of like waiting to see what they have here because there is still a pretty short book on both of these guys. Um, either way, this was uh, this is a good chat. We haven't really done done this future futuristic talk so far or a lot recently because God damn it, it's been game after game after game for three weeks. So, uh, Simon, I, I want to thank you for coming on to just sort of indulge my. Uh, curiosities with these point guards and other questions around the raptors and also for sharing your book running the point once again give it a plug where can people find it
1: yep so running the point um look me up simonbroder.com or dougie J's on twitter and uh look it up on amazon if you can find it um definitely a great book for kids age 10 to 13 if you can get it in time for christmas it's running a bit late but all right uh yeah that's it
0: fantastic uh all right you can follow me on Twitter at Woodley Sean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can leave a rating or review on the iTunes page, or Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast. It's extremely helpful and very much appreciated for, for you to do that. Make it your Christmas gift to me. Just leave a little rating or a review, and it'll make my Christmas dreams come true. Uh, and uh, that's gonna do it. I'll be back again on Wednesday. Not exactly sure if I'm gonna be doing a podcast from the ACC or not. I'm not sure just yet if I'm gonna be covering that game. Still TBD. But I will have a podcast in some form on wednesday either after the game uh, from home or from the arena so stay tuned for that and uh that's gonna do it thank you so much for tuning in we will talk to you next time on locked on raptors hey prime members you can listen to this locked on podcast ad free on amazon music download the amazon music app today